it's the smart landlords, the ones that have reserve accounts that are going to be the ones that can make it through. And again, when you're looking at buying a building, make sure you have a damn good reserve account. That's something that I've looked at about myself, and I feel pretty good about my reserve accounts. But in the future, my reserve accounts are going to get even bigger. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be even more prepared for this to happen in 2025 and tw whatever. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hi everyone, Daniel Krakowski with Obsidian Group. Today I'm joined by Todd Dexheimer of so many things. I mean, podcast host, yep. uh, apartment syndicator, yep. construction company, management company, um, you know, Venture D, that's the main firm. When I think of you, I think of Venture D. Yep. But today we're going to get into COVID-19, how it's affecting the economy, our opinions on it, and just a general state of affairs. So there you go. A lot of stuff. Thanks so much for, for making the time. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the first question. You own how many apartment units right now are you sponsoring? Uh, own about 550-ish right now. Uh, I kind of lose count because I've been selling a little bit of stuff um, and then still trying to acquire. Sure. And we were talking a little bit before this started. What percentage of your tenants uh, are paying on time? Well, we have – so we've got properties all across uh, in different locations. So there's mm -hmm. there's different stats, and, and the stat that I was telling you was local stat. Sure. Uh, locally, we've got – I, I said 100%, Yep. and it's really – there's one tenant that hasn't paid, but we already had evicted them, and we were actually going to file the writ, and then, like, all this happened. Sure. So they have still not paid. So technically we have uh, whatever that is, 98% or whatever it is sure. that have paid. But So lar but largely unaffected by this. So far. So far, which so is far. good. Because yeah. you have heard I've, – I've heard anecdotally 30%. Of tenants kind of across the country yeah. were late. I don't know, remember where that stat came from, but I've, I have well, friends who did that as well. But here's the thing: in thirty percent were late, yes, but I think a typical month is right around like eighteen percent. Sure. So we have to look at collections kind of at the end of the month, and I think what'll be interesting to tell is right now stimulus checks are starting to come out. Yep. Uh, people are finally getting their unemployment. You've got that $600 extra boost onto unemployment. So those things are all coming out. Sure. So what happens when that actually hits people's bank accounts? Are they going to get caught up on rent? And when that continues to flow into their bank accounts, are they going to continue to pay for May, for June, for July? And that's really all it's good for, right, through yeah. July. Right. And so then it'll be really interesting to see what happens in August and September, does the government come out with more money? We seem to have an endless supply of money, which well. is fantastic, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. Is, is there more money that comes out? Are we back to kind of life as, you know, quote unquote normal? I think normal is a new normal, but at sure. least some sort of resemblance of normal life. Be interesting to see. So. Yeah, I think the biggest unknown that makes it so hard to predict anything going forward is how long is this going to yeah. last? Yeah. Um, I think that it's undeniable that there's going to be economic impact. And I don't, to be honest, I, I don't think we've even felt it yet. I, I think right now we're dealing with 
the actual virus and how that's affecting the economy. I don't see sort of the aftershock. Uh, the fact that the balloon was maybe a little bit overinflated before this took place uh, being really something that's taking effect yet. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, the majority of your companies, Dan, are at least capitalized for a month or two of unknowns, right? Yes. Now, good companies, good, well-positioned companies have six plus months, likely nine to 12 months worth of reserves. Sure. Now, I think it was just today, uh, and I haven't like officially fact-checked this, but Neiman and Marcus just announced bankruptcy. Wow. You know, so that's a company that's been around for a long time, but it's a company who's been struggling for a long time. You know, there's talk about some of these companies like JCPenney's and Macy's and some of these department stores that are kind of weaker around, you know, the surface and, and where do they really have like this six month reserve? What can they do to withstand anything? You know, they were banking on a good economy and still struggling. Right. So what happens when the world gets turned upside down? That's going to be the interesting part. Or what's what's the landscape going to look like when we exit this? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the good news is, uh, as a whole, long run, I think we'll do well. We'll reposition a lot of those yep. businesses. But there's sort of this frictional difference where, uh, you know, they talk about frictional unemployment, which is the idea that, uh, just the time that it takes for an employer to find the right employee. Well, there's going to be a lot of unemployed people and yeah. some businesses that are disappearing. Yeah. New businesses will come in and take their place. But what does that timeline look like? How long is it going to take for those two to kind of find each other in the market? Uh, so yeah. there might be some some supply shock on the, the labor market side. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I mean, out of this opportunity is, is bound to come about and mm -hmm. Great changes are going to happen. Things that are exciting, you know, things will be brought to the forefront. Uh, and, and, you know, they were going to take, you know, five to seven years, maybe 10 years. And all of a sudden, within two years or six months, we're going to have this kind of new paradigm that we didn't realize until now. Unfortunately, with that, some people will get left behind. Absolutely. And that is the hard part. It's. Yep. And. And. You know, I don't want to be one to complain. We're well positioned and, and fortunately made some lucky decisions, um, coupled with some good decisions to, to be in a good spot right now. But I don't know what your thought is, but as a, an owner of real estate, I feel like there wasn't a ton that really went on that was designed to help me carry through uh, if I have unpaying tenants, particularly on the commercial side. What do, what do you feel like the response has been from the perspective of a landlord? Well, I, I think landlords definitely are, are are not being helped and i don't want to sound whiny and right. like say oh we deserve to be helped um because quite frankly i mean yeah i i i can understand some of like the i don't know some of the negativity and, and all that but here's the thing is yeah landlords just weren't the period weren't helped out i don't know of any landlords that have been i haven't been i haven't um, been I think the biggest thing that's disappointing to me, it's not that I want to go out and evict all my tenants. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the furthest thing that, from my mind. But the fact that evictions just poof went away. Right. And well, yeah, but we can't have people in the court system. I get it, but we do have computers. Mm -hmm. 
right? We do have a way to still do these things. Well, we don't want a bunch of people getting kicked out of the property. I agree, 100%. We don't. But here's the problem with, with no evictions is that now we create this sort of entitlement. And I don't want to, like, rag on people and sound yeah. super negative, and that's not, that's not my point. But the eviction was kind of a, hey, look, you do have to still pay your rent. We don't want to file eviction, but it's it's still there in our back pocket. Where now it's not even in our back pocket. There's no repercussions, period. Right. And again, I'm not, like, right now, that's the furthest thing from our mind. We're not wanting to evict people. But if somebody says, look, we're not working with you. Go get lost. Yeah. I'm not paying rent, and I don't care. I don't care how much money I have. I, I don't care. I'm not paying you a dime. Right. Well, then we got problems, right? There, that's a different kind of scenario. And it's like, okay, why shouldn't I be able to say, okay, that's fine. You say you're never going to pay us, but you know what? In return, we're just going to ask you to leave. But we yeah. can't do that right now. We can't say you have to leave. Uh, so I think landlords have been not, not only have they not been helped, but they've actually been hurt a great deal. And there's some legislation right now that would be very damaging to landlords. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think it's more of a, uh, a publicity stunt. Yes. But at the same time, it's just it's concerning that it's even out there. Are you talking about Omar's bill? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, where, you know, rent and mortgage payments would be forgiven and the cities and you know the government can come and buy your buildings from you and um well i mean it's socialism at its best well yeah and i don't i don't think anything that you're saying is complaining or would be interpreted as complaining but it's important to have the conversation so that we actually know how best to strategize going forward if it is going to be something for a landlord where they know that going forward they likely will not have much help they need to change their strategy. How are they yep. going to move forward more effectively? And that's why I think this conversation is so valuable. Um, the well, I, don't count on others. Look, I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the first and foremost. And I think there's a lot of businesses that, are, that should feel very fortunate. Yeah, and there's a lot of businesses that are like, I'm getting totally the, the, the wrong end of this thing. And, and I, got, I had to shut down and I didn't get any government support. But at the same time, you just can't count on it. And right. if you set your business up to where you're not counting on it, you're, you're fine. And that's why we talk about, or I talk about how much reserves you should have. Like if, if you're buying rental properties, you should have nine to 12 months worth of principal and interest reserves. Uh, or if you're buying some smaller properties, single families, small, um, small commercial spaces, it, it might even be up to um, six months worth of just total all payments. You know, it just depends on the size of the property, but if I had to pick a theme for the response to this crisis, I would say moral hazard, uh, <laughs> which is you know the idea that um, you're allowing someone to make a bet without having them worry about what the downside is. They only get the upside. Yeah. Right. So you can yeah. see that through you can see that through uh, the buyout of junk bonds. Right. Yeah. The people who invested in the safer, more conservative bonds, they're the fen- essentially the ones who are being punished, um, and. You, as a responsible landlord, someone who set aside reserves, if they're, you know, they're, they're not doing it, but say, say there's a world where a big bailout does come from all the other landlords, you 
were at a disadvantage to them. They sure. were f more foolish with their money. They overspent it. They overleveraged. They probably bought deals that you wouldn't because yeah. you wanted to be conservative and safe through a situation yeah. like this. And if they're bailed out, you're the one who's punished uh, by having this money sitting on the sidelines. So, and that, and that's a good point. And there's this fine line between bailout being acceptable and bailout being, um, you know, just just this like you said. I mean, it's they're rewarded for the foolishness of how they were investing in their business. A lot of these companies don't have reserves, right? They don't have what they need to make it through any kind of economic cycle. And they're being bailed out for that. Yet the prudent companies, they are actually getting the short end of the stick in this case. And it's hard for me to go, oh, well, we shouldn't give anybody any money because of the circumstances. These, yeah. This is a little different. This isn't just a recession, right? right. This is a, uh event, you know, a, a, a natural disaster, call it. Force majeure. Uh, right? we for <laughs> yeah. The government forced everybody to shut their businesses down. Like, how do you punish people for that? Right. That, that's tough. Yes. You know, that's tough. So, so yeah. No, I totally sympathize with a lot of the, the people in the hospitality industry who yeah, oh don't gosh. have the opportunity to do anything else. Yeah. Could like, you could you imagine right now, um, you know, owning a hair salon or a, a restaurant or, you know, any anything like that where you're just like – I can't do anything. Well, restaurants, at least they kind of can, right? Right. Some of these restaurants are actually thriving. And that's the other thing is, as a business owner, look at what's going on and make decisions based on what's happening and figure out how to adapt and adjust. So the smart restaurants are still making money. The good restaurants are actually doing really well. I went, We went and did takeout the other week, and I said, hey, how's business going? And they said, we are making more money now than we've ever ever made before wow and that's because they've adapted they made they've made it easy for people to come in they they did good business before it's a well-established restaurant so what are you doing right now to set yourself up i was on uh facebook and i i don't know why because i don't really spend a lot of time on it but so, for some reason some post popped up caught my interest and i saw some lady complaining about her massage business and how she can't have clients in her massage business and my answer was i get it right okay you can't have clients in your business right now but what are you doing right now instead of complaining to build and grow your business my thought was look why don't you go do videos on how your clients can do stretches and exercises and things like that in order to, you know, relax their muscles, in order to basically massage themselves at home. Like, what are you doing to educate them to where when business does start, start back up, now all of a sudden, instead of 30 clients, you've got 300 clients. Right. So what are you doing today to make yourself more visible and make yourself, you know, just uh, just a better business? I completely agree. I think it's so easy with this to get caught up and feel sorry for yourself because it, it, it kind of sucks. You go home, you're yeah. crazy. Like you, I feel like I'm in prison sometimes. Yeah. You know? I, so, um, you know, I, I think it lends itself to some depression, the feeling that, hey, yeah. this is sort of pointless. And I think what you're saying really is it's like, yes, it does suck. Yes, like it is unfortunate. Whatever help is offered to you, of course you want to go get it. Right. But in the meantime, continue to build your business like yep. do this is the new environment the world has changed 
what can you do now? Yeah. And I think marketing is exactly right. I think in a recession, what do they always say? The people who continue to mail, the people who market, who don't cut on their marketing budget in a recession are the people who come through on the other end. Yep. So I think that's great advice. Yep. The, the, the businesses that are adapting to the environment, and it's always the case, the businesses that adapt to the environment that's in front of them are the businesses that are going to succeed moving forward. That's it. Sure. It's plain and simple, and that's what's going to happen. These businesses need to adapt, and if they're not adapting, they're going to be dying. Before we get into investing, what do you think? Do you have any advice for real estate brokers out there? Uh, what What do you think? What would you be doing? How would you advise them at this point as a person that they would love to work with? Well, um, I, mean, I, I think, as you said, I mean, you need to be marketing. So right now, look, I think everybody has more time probably now or, or most people right i i, I know i have time because i'm not doing like i'm not doing meetings yeah you sure. and i are meeting but this is like rare we're six feet apart by the way yeah uh this is rare um that i actually drive somewhere so i've saved all my commute time almost almost every day i have one or two meetings every day where i'm driving somewhere sure you know so i have more time most people have more time so what are you doing with that extra time as if, if you're a broker are you writing blogs are you calling prospective clients are you calling you know sellers what are you doing to actually get yourself in front of people and how are you making a difference and how are you being positive like how are you making yeah. positive um you know in, interaction with with people how are you building your brand like all those things are super important if you're just feeling sorry for yourself because there's no deals out there well yeah of course you're gonna die as a broker it's just not gonna work you have to take advantage of the extra time that you have because there's no deals out there yep and do something about it and then when those deals come they're gonna be coming to you right well said. right are, are you are you calling lenders are you are you figuring out how to be the best foreclosure broker in the market? Like when distressed properties do hit the market, if they do, are you going to be able to take advantage of that? Or are you going, oh, crap, I wish I would have done that, you know? Three weeks ago, I called all the lenders I work with, and I'm like, hey, if you guys have anything coming into workout, we'd love to take a look at that. We'd love to work yeah. on, you know, we have an attorney on our team, so we can do a complicated, sophisticated deal. Don't worry about it. We'd love to take a look at everything you've got. We'd also love to broker it. Let us know. They're like, this is way premature. It's oh, the first weekend. They, they're, I think that was maybe a little offensive to some people. But Well, and Dan, what you did, though, is, is good because you, first of all, you created, like, that was unique, right? I right. mean, not everybody did that probably most people didn't so that was unique so you've created a memory for them so now the next step and maybe you've already done this is to send them send them your brochure with a with a letter showing that you know just just some just some literature follow that up with an email uh two weeks later uh you know make sure you're continuing to connect with them and that way three, six, 12 months down the road, when they do have workouts, who do they think about? Daniel Krakowski, right? Right. They're not thinking about, oh, I got to go onto the, you know, the website and find the best realtor. No, they already know the best person to call. Right. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as it pertains now into, I guess, the meat of, of what I wanted to get into, how is this going to look? 
and what do we do about it? <laughs> I know it's a loaded question, but I think it's fun to hit some ideas back and forth. Well, and I think it's an important question, right? Because yeah. we don't know the answers, but we do we do want to be thinking about what the possible answers could be. So we want to be prepared, I think, for opportunity that might be coming down the pipeline. Yep. And again, knowing that out of out of every recession, out of every big event comes opportunity. And so opportunity will come out of this. I, I can promise you that. Right. So if you're not looking for opportunity, you're going to be left behind. I, I, I talked to so many people who, when I tell them when I started investing, which was 2008, they said, oh, you're so lucky. And they, and they didn't start until yeah. 2014, 2015, 2016. And it's not that I was I was lucky. I mean, sure, I I, kind, I was right to an extent, but it, the, the the luck came from actually taking action and actually looking for opportunity, and understanding the opportunity. Like my brain, the bells went off and said, "Holy cow, opportunity is right here in front of me. I've got to take action." Where a lot of people were just scared and they go, "Oh my gosh, everybody just got foreclosed on. I can't buy real estate. I got to wait until it becomes the best thing ever." And right. when it's the best thing ever, it's too late. Then now you started investing in 2015. You had had a couple of years of run up and now you got this right you know so don't wait you've got to be looking for that opportunity right up front now where i got lucky is you know i wasn't as educated as i am right now and i kind of just stumbled into wanting to do real estate investing and then found the opportunity it was like right in front of my nose but yeah. at the same time if you're not if you're not taking action if you're not looking for it if you're not educating yourself you're going to be left behind it's just plain and simple absolutely and it, you know i think it's going to be really interesting and and to your point i guess starting in 2008 there's going to be a lot of people who are going to start 2022 let's say who are going to be in that almost exact same situation yes. who have the opportunity for the run-up yes um so the question then is how do you identify when the right time to buy is i think maybe the first thing is in the short term right now the immediate what i'm seeing is there's dissonance sellers don't they, they know that there's something bad happening they know that likely their assets are worth a little bit less but they don't know how much and if for a lot of these guys it's the biggest financial instrument asset that they have so you don't want to sell your building for a 40 percent discount yeah. if you only need to sell it for a 15 percent discount so you want to see you want to know damn sure you want to see these other trades you want to see comps where cap rates what is the appetite like before you feel comfortable setting a price that you're willing to take for your building? Yep. And then on the other end, you have buyers who are looking at it and they go, well, we don't know how bad this is going to be either. So they need to price in not just, I mean, some might price in what the average risk is, but a prudent investor, I'm sure like you or like, I know the, I'm thinking about it. I want to price in the worst case scenario yep. before I'm buying something. Yep. So we have these differences on what we're willing to take on a sale and what we're willing to pay now, perceiving the risk differently from different ends of the spectrum, which has caused a complete slowdown. Uh, and I don't see a way for, you know, eventually the dam has to break and some transactions are gonna take place. Some exchanges are gonna come through. Sometimes people just need to sell. You know, you're 90 years old and you gotta pay for X, Y, and Z. You're gonna sell your building, it happens. Until those transactions start happening, people just don't know. And so, so it's kind of a weird chicken egg thing. How do you see that playing out? 
Yeah, it's it's tough to exactly know, but it's exactly. I mean, it's it's just what you said. It's it's just going to be it's this chicken and egg thing, right? But and it kind of de- also depends on how deep this cut goes, right? Right. Right, right now, it's only been what four or five weeks, mm-hmm. you know. So it's the the cut isn't that deep. Most most landlords got their rent. Some didn't, um, but the ones that didn't hopefully had reserves. If you didn't have reserves, obviously you're going to go down a lot quicker, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's, it's just keeping an eye on the market, keeping an eye on timing, keeping an eye on just where prices are going, what's going to happen. And, and again, so much is still up in the air. We don't right. know. But let's just assume that this does get bad. Let's just assume that people start needing to sell their properties instead of just right now wanting to take advantage of an amazing market right or right. not right now but four weeks ago sure sure you know so let's say that happens well what you're gonna see is this snowball right it, it slowly starts through this tiny little ball and we keep on rolling it and all of a sudden we get this big ball that we make the snowman with right yep my son and i just made a snowman uh, a couple you know like a week ago right so now Love i'm thinking that snowman right yeah. yeah uh but but that's what's going to happen is you got this first property comes on the market second property comes on the market those get sold but then our buyers our sellers start putting more properties than our buyers can handle mm-hmm. and once we get that breaking point then the sellers are especially the ones that are desperate are going you know what i'm not desperate but how about you how about we just drop the price by 10 percent you know what i'm not desperate but let's drop it by another 10 percent you know what i'm freaking desperate i need to sell this property drop it by 20 percent let's see if we can get this thing off that's when you're going to start to see these deals come now when should you start buying as a buyer My, 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 my buddy always says he's like we're all rich as long as we decide that we're, none of us are going to sell. Yeah. Once we decide to sell, now yeah. we're broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and some people are going to be not even deciding. They're going to be told to sell by lenders. Right. You've got, especially, so my world, multifamily and commercial, you've got loan covenants that you have to meet certain requirements. And if you can't meet those requirements, the bank is going to go, sell your property get rid of it or we're taking it and you're gonna have to sell it and so you might not even decide to sell you might be told to sell sure so that sucks right so as a buyer like when is the right time to buy there is no perfect time i'll tell you that first of all the time is when you can look at the cash flow buy on the current numbers on the current cash flow and you can know that with conservative underwriting you're still going to make it through a tough time which we're going through right now right and and that's tricky because okay what's conservative really mean you know but but we want to stress test through some previous recessions we want to look at what's happened before we want to look at current events what's happening are rents going down by you know 10 percent or 
our vacancies going up, likely both are happening. So, okay, well, what, let's stress test this through and see how bad it has to get before we lose money on mm-hmm. this building before we're forced to sell. And so once you can get to a point where I can buy this building and I can make it through and, hey, there's some pretty dang good upside here, then it's time to buy. When I look back in 2008, when I first started buying, I was buying these properties that they were cheap, right? They were cheap, but I would buy them. I would renovate them. And when I was done renovating them, let's say they were worth $150,000. And I was buying mostly single families and duplexes at the time. So so they're $150,000. Well, I would refinance them based on that. I would rent them. And within two years, they're now, instead of $150,000, they're worth $105,000. So I lost money on the buildings, but they were cash flowing at five hundred to eight hundred dollars to even 1000 bucks a month. Right. Like, I didn't care how much they were worth, truly. I right. cared about the financial performance. So what's your business plan and goal, and can you actually achieve that? I think that's what you have to really look like at, look at as a buyer. Could you lose equity in your building in the short term? The answer is yes. Yeah, well, I think it's important then to break out the difference between the asset market, buying the actual real estate, and the space market. Because you talk about the ability to carry yourself through the bad times, um, that's a demand side function of space. What is the value of the space that you're offering? And I think the space that you're offering is very highly in demand and you position your business, this is me as an outsider looking in, to deal with this exact situation. You've been prepared for something like this uh, because you're picking space that's in high demand that people have been competing for. That is, you know, everyone's saying, hey, there's a housing crisis, there's not enough units, there's not enough units at this price. Um, you can look at it from how, how how much demand is there to release the space. In commercial real estate, you can also look at it too from, you know, how strong is that signature? Is Medtronic the tenant on your building for the next ten years? They'll probably keep paying. You know, yep. you can feel pretty good about that. Yep. How durable is that income stream? And what I think a lot of people are finding, myself included, I bought a B class retail building in Cottage Grove, and now it's it's getting to be a lot harder to find someone to find that space that was harder space to fill before this much much harder now so looking at it from the demand side and making sure that you're you're adhering to the good fundamentals of investing in real estate i think is more important than ever yeah Um, well and and one thing i want to speak to that too is when we we have to look at we've got our piece of real estate and you might be, you might be sitting here going, man, I've got great tenants. I've got, let's just say you've got this building that's full of like just awesome tenants that aren't being affected by this recession, right? Yeah. This crisis. They're not affected at all. This is great. I'm going to make it through. I'm, our building is going to do just perfect, right? Well, guess what? If the other buildings all around you are not surrounded by those amazing tenants, and they become vacant or have some occupancy issues, guess what they're going to do? Lower their rents, Mm -hmm. offer amazing concessions. And what's going to happen to your tenants? They're going to go, huh, my lease is up. Sure. I'm going to go to this place that's renting for, you know, a 25% discount, 
mm-hmm. 30% discount. And all of a sudden, your beautiful-looking building that had these amazing tenants might not be so amazing. So we, we, we want to look at our building. Now, the 10-year lease by Medtronic, amazing, right? That, yeah. That's your tenant. They're locked in for 10 years. So if, that, if that's who we got, we're pretty good. But if we've got tenants that are, uh, whether it's residential or commercial, that are locked in for shorter leases, we got to really be concerned. And, and when we're buying these assets, we got to really understand that our building might be strong today, but is it strong in the future? And that's where we can get caught up when we're buying these buildings. And we go, oh, I'm buying this apartment building and it's 98% occupied. It's in a fantastic area. And I'm buying it at a, at a, a six cap. Uh, and, and it would have sold for a five cap just you know, three months ago. And, and so we thought, oh, we got this great deal. But what we didn't realize is there was cracks all around that building. Yep. And, and your building is 98, but every other building around you is at 92 and the rents are going down by 20, 30%. And eventually your building is going to get swallowed up into that and it's going to go down too. So we got to look at everything around. I don't mean to scare people, but just be aware of what's happening around you because it's going to happen to your building as well. And you mentioned the strength of multifamily, and I have set myself up in that asset class for a reason, but here's the other truth of it, is multifamily is still, it's going to be affected by this. People will figure out ways to cut costs. So you're gonna find yourself a roommate versus you know, paying 1,500, 2,500, whatever it is for rent. You're just gonna find a roommate, right? Sure. You're gonna figure out ways to get creative to still make ends meet and so now if you find a roommate that means somebody else lost a tenant yep right and so now occupancy goes down some tenants aren't going to pay you know there's things that are going to happen so multifamily's not they're going to get hit yeah and it's the smart landlords the ones that have reserve accounts that are going to be the ones that can make it through. And again, when you're looking at buying a building, make sure you have a damn good reserve account. That's something that I've looked at on myself, and I feel pretty good about my reserve accounts. But in the future, my reserve accounts are going to get even bigger. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be even more prepared for this to happen in 2025, in tw- whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just going to I, – I want bigger reserve accounts. I want to be more prepared and be just well capitalized. Sure. Yeah, I think that's probably also a function of now having something to preserve, too. Like, yeah. you have something substantial that you need to protect. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So what I'm, what I'm seeing is, and in hearing from you, is on the space market, short-term decrease in demand as a result of people bunking up roommates, maybe yep. moving back with mom and dad yeah, to save money. Yeah, maybe moving back with mom and dad, yeah. Um, and, and we're definitely seeing that. You know, we had four restaurant deals from a pretty big restaurant in town that were going to be going on this year and they just completely tapped out said no so retail office i mean that's that that's really tough space anecdotally from from what we're seeing i don't want to sign a lease right now yeah i don't want to sign a long-term lease yeah um you're worried about your business you're worried about hey am i going to sign a lease with 10 brokers that we have or we're going to be six you know in a couple months and we have this bigger lease obligation so I think there's some challenges there. I think multifamily, it seems like you are is positioned about as well as you can be. And Correct. and to me, industrial as well. Industrial I, is great. I see increased demand Warehouse. coming over time. Yeah. yeah. And that's the asset that we've, you know, I put this whole pitch deck together, did this presentation, we were going out, we were raising money, um, and you know, then this happens. And 
I think a lot of people came up to me and they're like, are you bummed that you put all this time and energy into doing this presentation of, cause we had like, this is the per foot, this is where we're buying yeah. in these markets. Uh, like, no, this is where the opportunity comes from. Yeah. We're going to have access to five times more deals that check these boxes. Yeah. And a lot of this is still going to perform well because again, you look at the demand side, you look at e-commerce, this isn't going to hurt e-commerce. No, uh, you look at, it's going to help it. Exactly. And then onshoring, like we really recognize the weaknesses in our supply chain. I think yep. that's going to bring yep. some more manufacturing back here. You got it. And, and companies are going, wow, we ran out of this stuff and we can't, we don't have room at our facility. Mm -hmm. So let's just lease this cheap warehouse space. Right. You know, we're going to store some stuff in there and, and we're going to be prepared now. I think warehouse is a very strong place to be. And there's, there's several other industries or, or facets of, of real estate and even business that I think have good opportunity. Maybe we'll do a warehouse deal together through this. There you go. That'd be fun. It'd be fun. Yeah. So short-term demand for all of these assets, yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, going from the space market back to the actual asset. Mm -hmm. um, I think it makes sense. People are worried about what's the value of these going to be. There's also a decrease in demand as a result in the less availability of credit. Banks yeah. are tightening. What, what yeah. have you seen on the credit side? Are, are banks requiring more in reserves, offering uh, different terms? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, so there's a lot of different uh, lenders out there, right? So I, again, in, in the multifamily space, I deal, we deal a lot with uh, agency debt. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, yep. right? Those ones are, are open for business. Uh, HUD is probably the best open for business. They're not requiring a much different, uh, and you can get still 1.18 debt service coverage ratio, just some amazing terms, 35-year uh, fixed. I mean, amazing stuff. But the problem with HUD is they're a pain in the butt to deal with. Um, you've got all, uh, tons of reporting to do. You can only take money twice a year. Uh, you can only take profits twice a year, so you have to have pretty good reserves sitting sure. there. Uh, and you can... Um, it takes you six months to get the deal done, to get financing. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are, are your big agency lenders, and they're requiring 12 and sometimes 18 months worth of principal and interest reserves. So pretty good mm -hmm. amount, yeah. right? And, and previously, you could get deals done for even as little as six months. Wow. So when you talk about the demand for properties, we have to look at, you know, what people's capital is and people are basing their decisions on the capital they have to bring to the table well now you have to bring in twice as much reserves to the table that means we have to have more capital which means we can't purchase the property for as much money right so all right there property values just decrease just because of that local banks uh or sorry let's start let's go with national banks Latin national banks uh, have basically shut the door on yep. commercial real estate in general, multifamily. Uh, they're the first ones typically to do this, though. They always leave the game as quickly as possible, and they're the last ones back. They won't be back until the market's frothy again and it's ready to, the bubble's ready to burst. Sure. The, it's funny, the national banks, I don't get them, but <laughs> they are at the peak of lending when the bubble is ready to burst, and then they go away when it's perfect time to lend. Sure. The local banks, uh, are are cautiously moving forward. Some of them have shut down, um, but they're cautiously moving forward. I would say for the most part, they will they will be very cautious right now. They're going to require bigger down payments. They're probably going to charge you a little bit higher interest. Um, 
they're going to be working with better uh, better credit um, lenders and better properties. They will be the first ones to open their doors back up, though, as things start to shake out. So they're sure. going to be your friend. Those are the banks that you want to make big relationships with right now. Um, so it, it's it's definitely a different lending environment. Uh, I mean, 100%. For sure. So the money supply in the short term is, is shrinking. Well, because, and investor money, too, yeah. right? Investors are – so it, it's just – it goes – it's across the board. Everybody is – cautious and nobody knows what's going on i think that's that's the biggest problem is there's no certainty yep right now and so when there's no certainty well why am i going to invest in this deal when i don't even have a clue what's going to going to happen in the market so we have this lack of certainty which means everybody's closed for business right. and until that certainty comes around we won't see i i don't think a tightening i, I or a loosening i think it'll be only a tightening yeah, I think so. I, anecdotally, are you more or less likely to buy something right now? Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think with the credit markets, the way that I always think about it is you kind of have the snowballing effect, as you described earlier, where the problem is the, the people lend to you because you have a high income, right? It, they want to know that you have the ability to pay it back. Yeah. And in the short term, incomes are going down. Yeah. Like that's, there, there's no question about that. Yep. Right? And the other piece that they look at is what's your collateral? as your ability to repay. And if the value of your assets is going down, as yep. they are, as we've yep. discussed earlier, so you have both of these factors at once, both pulling back credit, meaning that there's less money to deploy into these deals, which is decreasing demand, yep. which is why, you know, and then uncertainty, general desire of consumption yeah. Yeah, is they, going Yeah, they down. want to make sure that your, whoever's in your building is going to pay the bills. Right. And right now, there's... There's nobody that really understands if anybody's going to pay the bills. Right. So other than the federal government. Now, the countervailing force now, right, is all the quantitative easing that they're doing. Yeah. The last time I saw you posted an awesome article, I, I wrote one too last week. And when at the time I wrote it, it was $6 trillion was the Fed's balance sheet. Yeah. It was at around $4 trillion before this started. Right, right. Uh, and the projection is that it'll hit $10 trillion Pretty soon. By 2020. And I think we could blow way past that. Which is crazy to think about, right? Because yeah. you're now reintroducing money yeah. to make up for the loss of credit, which increases demand and means people can pay more for these assets. Mm -hmm. Also, if you keep interest rates low. Yeah. I mean, now that's a leveraged uh, increase in, in what we're able to buy, increase in nominal GDP, uh, the amount that people are able to spend. So when you think about the long run, it makes sense to me. These asset values are going to go way, way up. Uh, what time frame? We don't know. Yeah, um, it, I it, it's it'll be interesting to see because it it doesn't affect all areas equally, mm -hmm. or at least it hasn't. And this new money that's being brought into the into the market is it, it's truly it is new money, but it's being given to mostly. Um, mostly just the middle class, right? It is being given to some businesses and even large businesses, but a lot of it's middle class people and they're not working, right? And so what will that do in the long term as far as inflation? I'm not so sure. Like, I don't think I've really formulated a good opinion on it. Part of my brain says inflation, 
price increases everywhere, especially hard assets. Um, part of my brain says, I think it'll just continue to be as is. We'll have just regular inflation. Uh, look at what happened after the last infusion of a ton of money. We just, we actually had below average inflation. Um, and could that happen again? I, you know, maybe. I just, I guess I'm, I'm going to sit here and say I'm just not smart enough to know right now what's going to happen. And I dove into that pretty deep. I have a, I have a thought on that. So the CPI is usually what people are quoting when they yep. talk about inflation. Yep. And it has been pretty steady at 2%. But what the CPI fails to take into account is our financial assets. Yeah. And the way that they count housing is really weird. They don't say, hey, you bought this house. This is what the value would be. Or, or they're not looking at tax value. They say, what would fair market rent be for that house? And how yeah. do you come up with that figure? Yeah. I think all of us anecdotally know who've been investing. The stock market in the last decade went up 380%. Yeah. I mean, anything that you can leverage and use these low interest rates... The lower interest rates are, the more people invest versus save. Because you can't just have your money sitting in an account earning you nothing. You're losing money to inflation. So people deploy it into financial assets. The financial assets are somewhat finite. So you have all this extra money that you're creating. Demand increases as everyone's trying to gobble them up and competing and pushing cap rates to five, 4.75% in the Minneapolis apartment market for class A stuff. Um, so I think class B stuff, man. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So I think in the long run, and that's in the long run, it's going to really inflate values. Um, so I think and if you're market, right, get mm -hmm. your hands on real estate. That cash flows right because you got to be able yep. to make it through whatever yep. bumpy roads we have in front of us. Well, the issue is, you know, a lot of talk. I'm going to go somewhat political for a second, but a lot of the talk of the wealth gap in our country, I think isn't really doing a good job of understanding it from uh, an economic position where all of this money that they're printing, it, it needs to come from somewhere. It can be paid for in two ways. It can be paid for in taxes or it can be paid for in inflation, the money supply. That's it. We're not paying for it in taxes. We all know that's not gonna happen. Yep. Uh, so it's gotta be an inflation. Well, who benefits in a world where there's a lot of inflation? People like us who have the capital to go buy a financial asset, to buy someone who invested in the stock market in 2009 yep. that got a 380% return on it. Yep. Not the person who was just using it to buy food and pay rent. So by doing quantitative easing, this is kind of the argument against Keynesian economics, is that by doing it, you really actually long-term are, are, are having the Lank, opposite of your yeah. intended effect. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what I think will happen. I think... That's kind of why it's so interesting to look at it, because what's the right thing to do? Well, it all matters what timeline we're talking about. Because in the end, if we all agree that it's going to go up in the long run, buying at the peak of the last recession probably wasn't that bad either. Uh, you know, if you index the, the previous recession to 2007, everything went up 30%, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, yeah. Everyone, it'll be okay. You still made money. Can you survive in the short term? I that's think that's the, the first question. Correct. And then... You know, the second piece is, are you then trying to time the market? Is that your strategy? Some people, if you need to, I think if you need to sell in the next couple of years, today's the best day to sell. It's not going to get I better agree. for you in the short term. I agree. Um, but if you're trying to target time the market, when is the low point? How do we start to recognize that? And my only thought is, okay, when does, I guess it'd be like, when does supply 
the percentage increase of supply added uh, start decreasing. Yep. Right? Because then relatively the money supply is stable at that point and there's less assets going into the market. That likely will drive these values up. And that's where you just have runway, where all of the lending restrictions start relaxing a little bit. People start competing for what is out there. Um, it's hard because if you try and tie it to one specific item, if you're like, well, when banks start doing this, I think you can get caught in a trap and it ends up being a little bit myopic. But if you're like, okay, when is consumer confidence back? When is supply of inventory available for sales? When does that start to decrease? Uh, that is, I think, when you can kind of start to break it down. So I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. And I agree that that's a great time to buy. But what I'm going to propose is that you're, you've missed a large window of opportunity there by waiting for consumers to be excited again, by waiting for some of that thing. That, that stuff that you've mentioned, if you can buy in a 2008 when consumer sentiment is at an all-time low, mm -hmm. when unemployment rate is at an all-time low, and you can buy at that time, I think you've really been able to buy a lot. So, so if, yeah. I, if I look at Maybe 2012 was probably when things started to really come back or st start to, right? It, it took a long time. But if I didn't buy anything from 2008 to 2012, I missed out on millions of dollars worth of real estate. Sure. Now, this is different, right? Unemployment typically doesn't take place in a few-week period of time, right? We don't lose whatever millions of jobs we just lost. Right. When you look at the last one, that happened from 2007 all the way through like 2010 to get to that to get to the point of, of the max job loss. Yes. Okay. So this, this one's different. Now you can't say, well, we lost all these jobs. Now's the time to buy because the market hasn't re truly reacted to it yet. Right. Real estate, especially, hasn't reacted yet to what's going on. So this is a little bit different, but. I, I think it, it's you're always taking a risk if you don't do what you said. So if you, if you do what you said, you're going to be safe. You're going to be buying an asset at the lower the the lowest or lowish close to it point, and you're not going to lose any value. But you're also going to miss that opportunity that could be a, a, a could be a pretty large window of opportunity. Sure. But you're taking a bigger risk. Right. So by right. buying in 2008, I took a bigger risk. Like I said, my properties lost value. I took a bigger risk in 2008, 2009, 2010. But had I waited until 2011 or 12, I would have missed out in millions. So sure. that's, that's my argument against doing it. I agree with your strategy, and that's the strategy that I'm looking to employ as well. <laughs> I don't think I explained myself very well. I was more saying I think when you see the consumer confidence shift, that is when you know that it's going to start going back. That's going to start way. to go up 100%. Yeah. I think the valuable, the, the right way to go about it is to be dollar cost averaging on the way down, to be buying mm. an asset that you know you're buying for value. Yeah. Because, again, if we think it's going to go up beyond where it was before. Which you have Exactly. You, then you have a stable income, yeah. and you're comfortable buying it for the income that it produces. Yeah. Take every single opportunity that you can to buy the entire way through. Because... I mean, 
I really started trying to buy commercial real estate in 2018 and started putting millions of dollars into deals. And it was so hard yeah. to find anything that I found interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for the people who never went through a, a contraction before, it's going to be an eye-opening, amazing time where you're going to see deals and it's it, it's going to be different. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe tell us what well, for, for someone who didn't do it. What am I going to see? Well, here, here's they. I, I'm going to go first of all start by saying things are different now. We have podcasts, we have YouTube and social media that's like just gone bonkers since the last time. Now, did we have YouTube and stuff, some stuff back in like 07, 08? Sure, but but not effectively. Yeah, you're right. The, the best way to get educated in 2007 to 2008 was to read a book. A hard copy book. A what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to, to listen to one of those audio CDs, right? That That's how you got educated. Now you listen to a podcast that was recorded within the last two months. Right. Maybe even within the last half an hour. You right. Know? And so it, it's going to be real time. So I think your window could be smaller, too. I think you're going to find out what other people are doing a lot quicker. So it'll be interesting, but... What happened the last time is the fear took over. People knew there was great opportunity, but the fear took over, and they weren't buying. So you might go, oh, it's great. I'm so, I hear all these people are like, I'm so looking forward to the next time that happens again. I'm going to be ready to buy. And my, my response is, are you sure? Are you sure that you're going to be able to get out of your own headspace, Right. <laughs> And that's that's going to be the most challenging thing. Yeah. And again, it's different this time because other people are going to be telling you to get out of your headspace. That you're in that headspace. You're going to go, oh, I am. Oh, there is these deals. So that it could make it speed that process up. Yeah. How much of a mitigant do you think that is? Because there are groups that I know who are sitting on dry powder. One dry of the yeah. one of the there's this investor that we are, are fortunate enough to be around owns 11 million feet, and he was doing about 50 percent. Uh, LTV on every deal that yeah. he was purchasing on purpose in yeah. preparation for this. Yeah. And I think people looked at it as an outsider and they're like, why wouldn't you want to get longer term debt on these great, huge industrial buildings that are going to, yeah. you know, have demand forever. He was like, well, and now he looks like a genius, you know, looks really smart, probably has a ton of cash reserves sitting around. And even if his tenants don't pay, which he's got industrial, so they're probably going to pay. But even if they don't pay, it's probably not going to kill him because he's got this cash. Now, does he want to lose his cash, right? Does he want to spend his cash trying to pay for his mortgages? No, he doesn't want to spend all his cash, but he's got it. He's ready for this to go on for a long period of time. He's got low debt. He's got good reserves. He's selling. Now, people would say that I've, I heard it a lot because my properties here locally are, are leveraging at about 35% blended, 35% loan to value. That, why not Why not take another mortgage out? Why not take a line out? Why not yep. just refinance them? I can get 75% loan to value because I don't want to. Yeah. Because I want to be in a good position. If my tenants stop paying me tomorrow, well, it would suck. I, I guess if everybody stopped, that would hurt really bad. But, you know, if, if, if a good percentage of them, I could still make it through. Sure. So... My question, do you feel like people in the previous recession, I know you were just getting in there, do you feel like people are in a better position now in terms of how leveraged they are? No. People, no? Um, I, think, I think it's different this time, right? So 
Pro- probably, I guess, probably. But here's what I think. There's a lot of false... There's, there's, there's like, a lot of people are hiding behind more debt and less reserves than what you think. So I think that's the biggest risk is the reserves. And I, I've, I've mentioned that, obviously, a lot. But I think there's a lot of people that just don't have capital reserves, period, or, or really much to go by at all. And so if you don't have reserves... What's going to happen when you get a couple of rocky months? You're just you're not going to be able to make it through, and you're going to freak out. And you're going to crawl in your little hole, mm-hmm. and you're going to start licking your wounds. And that's what happened the last time. Now we're not see, we never saw hundred percent, hundred and ten percent loans. Sure. Uh, well, I shouldn't say never. I don't know. Maybe, maybe but not in my world at least. <laughs> um, but we did see some crazy debt service coverage ratios where the banks would just get a little sloppy on their underwriting and and they would okay you're at 1.2 1.25 debt service coverage ratio but when reality hits you're actually at like a 1.05 1.1 sure you know so we're underwriting being a little more forgiving of expenses a little more giving on the income Yep. And that's the other thing when we talk about lending. These lenders are no longer going to do that. You know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, forget about them telling you, okay, yeah, you can you can have that building repairs and maintenance. Yeah, we can see it at 300 a month. We can see your unit turns at, at 150 a month. Now, nah, forget that. That's not yeah. going to happen anymore. They yeah. know better. Yeah. They knew better back then, but they really know better now. Sure. So. So. Last question before we sign off here. Uh, I hear a lot of re- – I want to address this to the residential real estate agents because yeah. I think they're asking and, and trying to figure out how is this going to affect the housing market, the, the traditional housing market. And I've seen a lot of uh, reports that I would say the data that is being cited is – kind of irrelevant to the situation and used yeah. to encourage people to want to go out and buy houses. Yeah. What's your thought on, on how this is going to affect the, the single family? I, I actually think in the, so in the short term, people are going to get hurt, right? In the short term, there's some people that are going to get foreclosed. I think the biggest uh, risk is your Airbnb, your vacation rental type people. Mm. Um, so I think there's going to be some pain and some hurt, but, but honestly, in the long run, I think single family is poised to do really well. If I were a realtor right now, I would be contacting every single person that lives in an urban high rise and telling them how beautiful it would be to own their own piece of real estate with their own backyard near parks and nature. Because yeah. guess what those people are doing right now? They're sitting in their 600-square-foot <laughs> cell block. They can't get outside. They can't do anything, and they're driving them nuts. And the cool thing, they were in this apartment because they could go to the bars and the restaurants yep. and, and go to the <laughs> nightlife scene. And, oh, if they, if they didn't feel like doing that, guess what they would do? They would hang out at the pool or the, you know, the rooftop, uh, whatever. And it's like, and none of that is there. And they've got to go they're on the 52nd floor they got to walk down this hallway that they can't get six feet away from the person that's walking the other direction and then they go into the elevator and they pray that they won't run into anybody on all the way down yet that elevator stops six times and each time somebody gets in and goes out 
and they're going, oh my gosh, we just can't wait to get out of here. And that realtor that contacts them is like somebody sent them from heaven, right? And now they can buy the first piece of property. That's what I would be doing if I was a realtor. I would be hounding on those people, trying to get clients out of urban high-rise apartment buildings. Wow. You sold me, man. I live in the North Loop. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> let's get out of this place. Yeah. yeah I, so I don't know. I, short term, there's going to be pain. There's going to be people that lose their properties. I think we're in a lot better position financially, uh, leverage-wise, and uh, just overall debt-wise as before. Um, and, and interest rates are are staying down. I, I got news for you. I think interest rates are going to be close to 2% by the end of the summer. Sure. I really do. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think you're going to be able to get your own house financed between 2 and 2.5% two and by the end of this summer. And, man, talk about a low mortgage payment. Yeah. You know, so that's only going to help it. I, I see it being, I see it being strong. Now, would I, would I encourage somebody to say, Hey, now's the best time to buy. It's probably not the best time to buy. Uh, but it, I, at the same time, if you get a decent value, I don't think it's the worst time to buy either. Sure. Awesome. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to, well, well, that, let's put that caveat on everything that we said today, right? Like yeah. maybe we're wrong. Who knows? So. I think one of the best opportunities right now in business or in, in all through what we've talked about, I think warehouse is great. I think um, I think suburban everything is actually better than inner city urban. I think we're going to shift from urban to suburban, um, and I think buying look for business opportunities to buy. If you are business minded, if you've ever wanted to own a business. Look for opportunities to buy. Look for things like manufacturing, like tech, things like that, where you can buy a business from, you know, a guy that's wanting to retire, a guy or gal that wants to retire, and it's just done. Yeah. This whole thing just, like, rocked their world, and they're like, screw it, I'm out of here. I think there's going to be opportunity there. Um, and real estate, you know, I think uh, I think there's a lot of different opportunities. You just got to look for it. And here's the other thing is uh, we've already talked about a paradigm shift. So what's the shift of the paradigm? What's that going to look like? And take advantage of that. We never had these um, turnkey properties prior to the last recession. Mm-hmm. You know, people took advantage of it. Airbnb vacation rentals. I mean, people took advantage of it. Now they're getting slammed right now. But if you were well positioned, you're fine. Sure. So. Yeah, that's great. I think there's... I think there's also, you'd kind of address the, the paradigm shift. I think that really is beneficial for people like us. We're, we're younger, on the younger side of this business. I think flexibility, like having to change the way that you're doing business, it's a little bit easier. So I think for the young people out there listening, now is the opportunity. A lot of the older guys are just going to go, you know what? I'm done. I'm, it's fine. Yeah. I, I'm done. I got all yeah. my money. Yeah. You can look at some of the big portfolio transactions that have taken place. Um, if you saw the, the big one CSM just did, people are getting out of those portfolios. There's yeah. th- there's a new world order uh, coming. So I um, really hope these retired people finally want to sell their properties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These older people, like, they just hold on to them forever. And it's like, ah, you just sell me your property. <laughs> I want to yeah. buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, man. Uh, I thought it would just be great to do a one-off and, and talk about – how this is happening there's just so much 
misinformation out there, a lack of information, and it's great to get it directly from the source. Well, and there's a lot of unknowns, and clearly, like, everything you and I have said today is probably 50% of it's going to be wrong, right? Yeah. But the the important part is that people are critically thinking and listening to us. They're listening to other people. And, by the way, stop listening to CNN and, you know, whatever other news sources. Like, they are not providing you good data. They're not providing you good information. All they're providing you is it's just garbage in. Yep. And, and just stop listening to them. Listen to people who are going to actually give you good, real information and not just try to scare you. It's just they sell on they sell on scare. Right? Yeah, it's that's it. Agreed. Listen to Pillars of Wealth Creation. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> thanks, everybody. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. The rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.